0: is alive lord we pray now you bless the preparation the proclamation of this word may you be glorified may your people be blessed in jesus name amen i want to look at matthew chapter 28 verses 5 and 6 but the angel answered and said to the women do not be afraid for i know that you seek jesus Who was crucified? He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. I want to preach this morning with the help of the Holy Spirit, and I solicit your prayers from the subject what the resurrection tells us. What the resurrection tells us. Have you ever had a moment in time, a period in history, or a season in your life when you felt all alone? Have you ever been in deep, dark, desolate, depressing, despairing, despondent places where your dreams were shattered, your hopes diminished, your optimism had vanished? Have you ever journeyed through a valley and while on your way through this valley, you kept wishing your journey was a nightmare or bad dream from which you would soon awake and discover that it is all over? Well, if so, you can identify with the disciples of Jesus after witnessing the crucifixion. Please come with me now as the story unfolds. About a week ago, they were traveling with Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. He was riding on a donkey. They were all walking alongside him. A large crowd greeted him as he rode by. Some of them had cut palm branches and they were waving those palm branches and others were spreading them on the way as he rode through. That day Jesus was treated like a king. That day they cared for him like he was royalty. That day they even sang praises to his name, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Matthew 21 and 9. What a marvelous celebration. Can't you imagine it? What a moving salutation. What a meaningful affirmation. What a mystifying adoration. What a majestic celebration that must have been as Jesus made his way into the holy city of Jerusalem with all of the fanfare. Well, the tragedy was that this illustrious demonstration of adoration was for some sadly superficial, shamefully shallow and sorrowfully surface. Such was the case because approximately one week later, the 11 disciples minus Judas, who was already dead, and all of the faithful men and all of those faithful women who genuinely loved Jesus, honored him, and served him, would come to witness the greatest atrocity, the greatest evil. Of all time. And it was promoted by some of those in the crowd who had recently sang his praises. Matthew 26 and 47 reports that Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples in his midst for three years of his ministry, was the conduit who set the final stage for the crucifixion in motion by betraying Jesus with a kiss. The sign of friendship, the sign of trust, the sign of loyalty, the sign of togetherness was used to portray Jesus into the hands of his enemies. After which the Sanhedrin Council, which was the religious supreme court of the day, directed by Caiaphas, the high priest, interrogated Jesus. They accused him of disrespecting God, blaspheming it, by claiming to be God's son, by claiming to be the Messiah, by claiming to be the Savior of the world. Now totally fed up, frustrated, And finished with Jesus, Caiaphas pronounced a death sentence upon him. And after the death sentence came, more barbaric brutality directed towards Jesus. Matthew 26, verses 67 and 68 describes the scene, writing, they spat in his beat him. And others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? Now, mind you, while this fiasco is transpiring, Peter, the outspoken disciple of of Jesus realizes that the life of Jesus as well as the lives of those who followed him were also in grave danger. And so when a servant girl and some other classified him as a follower of Jesus Peter cursed and swore, according to Matthew 26 74, that I don't know the man. Immediately, the rooster crowed, and verse 75 tells us Peter remembered the words of Jesus before the rooster crows, You will deny me three times. And so he went out. And he wept bitterly. The drama continues unfolding as Jesus faces the Roman governor Pontius Pilate who wanted nothing to do with this charade. In actuality, Pilate wanted nothing to do with this charade against Jesus. There were at least three reasons why Pilate would have preferred to stay out of the drama. First, as verse, verse 18 clearly states, Pilate wanted out of the drama for he knew that they had handed Jesus over because of envy. Pilate knew that this was a sham. He knew that this was nonsense. He knew that this was foolishness propagated by a power of Hungry group of religious leaders who were envious of Jesus. Envy is dangerous. Envy was a problem. But what were they envious of? They were envious of Jesus' power. Power to heal, power to Deliver power to raise the dead, power to promote change. And here they were all of those years, nothing happening, and Jesus comes along with all of this power, and they are envious. They were envious of his position. They were envious of his prestige among God's people. Men of God's people loved him. Many of the men loved him. many of the women loved him. many of the children loved him. they could not stand the love shown towards the Christ. They were envious of his prestige among. God's people, this group hated Jesus because of who Jesus was and because of what he did. They not only wanted him gone, but they wanted him dead. Imagine that. Justin wanted him put away, just didn't want him out of their presence, out of their sight, out of their minds. They wanted him dead. The second reason Pilate wanted to steer clear of this travesty is identified in verse 19. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife said to him saying, have nothing to do with this just man. I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. The third reason Pilate wanted nothing to do with this charade is clearly seen in John 19, verse 12, which reveals he feared for his job. He feared for his livelihood. Perhaps he feared for his financial future, so he wanted nothing to do with this charade. Notice the words of the text. And from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar. Friend, Boy, that got his attention. If you let him go, you are not the emperor's friend. If you're not the emperor's friend, you are the emperor's enemy. If you are not for the emperor, you are against the emperor. That's what they say. Whoever makes himself a king, they said, speaks against Caesar. Pilate's career would be in jeopardy and perhaps his own life if word got back to the Emperor Caesar that he was supporting a king other than Caesar. Now, confronted with the toughest decision of his life, Pilate tried to dodge the bullet through the implementation of a custom in which the governor used his executive power to release one prisoner. He had the power to pardon one prisoner. The stipulation, however, was that the prisoner release must be the people's choice. In other words, the people had to Specify what criminal they wanted to be pardoned by the governor. Well, at the time, there was a prisoner named Barabbas. Interestingly enough, all four gospels mention him by name. Matthew twenty seven, sixteen called him a notorious prisoner. Mark fifteen and seven refers to him as an insurrectionist, that is an anti government protester who had committed murder. Luke 23, 18, and 19 identifies him as a rabble-rousing troublemaker who was cast into prison not by mistake but for murder. John 18, 40 says, but Rabus was a robber. From all four gospel accounts, it is crystal clear that Barabbas is not the kind of guy, if you're in your right mind, that you would want roaming around your neighborhoods, for he is a known criminal. Not only is he a known criminal, but there were some other variables about his life. He was a no criminal with no implication of spiritual transformation. There are people who do things in life. They pay their debt to society. They have a spiritual transformation. When they come out, they are completely different than the way they went in. But not Barabbas. No spiritual transformation in the life of this character. And there was no insinuation of social rehabilitation. He went in as a criminal, criminal mindset, criminal behavior, criminal attitude, criminal disposition, criminal motive, criminal goals, criminal objectives. He went in as a criminal. He came out as a criminal. Bottom line, Barabbas is bad news. And everybody knew he was bad news. So when Pilate said to the people, whom shall I release unto you? Barabbas of Jesus, which is called the Christ. And the people selected Barabbas to go free rather than Jesus the governor was understandably stunned. He was shocked. He was shaken. He was set back by their chores. For it was a no-brainer. It was an open and shut case. It was, it was supposed to be cut and dry. Thumbs down, no questions asked, no questions asked, a unanimous decision. It would be like deciding who we want in our churches, who we want in our homes, who you want to sit around your dinner table, who who you want in your schools, who you want in your neighborhoods, uh, Would 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 you want the likes of Billy Graham and Mother Teresa or the Pope? Or would you like well-known, documented, full-fledged, bona fide, verified, unreformed, unregenerate, unrepentant, criminals loose in the park and the playgrounds? Nevertheless, Pilate took the road of least resistance and gave the misguided, misinformed, misdirected crowd what they wanted. Matthew 27, 28 through 31 paints a vivid picture of soldiers then stripping Jesus, put a scarlet robe on him, twisted a crown of thorns, and put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. They bowed the knee before him, mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him, took the reed, and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, when they had ridiculed him, when they had scorned him, when they had verbally abused him, they took the robe off and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Roman soldiers led Jesus away where their brutality, their cruelty, where they viciously drove spikes of nails into his hands and into his feet. By comparing the gospel accounts, We know Jesus spoke seven times while hanging on the cross. This is what he said. First, he said, Father, forgive them. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Luke 23, 34. Then he told his mother, woman, behold your son. He told John, Behold your mother, John 19, 26 and 27. Then he cried, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Matthew 27, 46. Then he said, I thirst, John 19, 28. Then he exclaimed, It is finished. Notice he did not say, I am finished. Thank God he didn't say, I am finished. But he said, It is finished. The work of redemption is finished. Then Jesus cried, Lastly, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, Luke 23 and 46 records he breathed his last. After the death of Jesus, one of his followers, a rich man named Joseph from the town of Arimathea, who was also a member of the Sanhedrin council, went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate commanded the body to be given to Joseph. Joseph then wrapped the body of Jesus in a linen cloth and laid it in his own borrowed tomb. The next day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate and said to him, Sir, we remember that deceiver said. Talk about paranoia. We remember that. Deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. We remember he said that. Yeah, we advocate that you demand the sepulcher, the tomb, be made secure until the third day. In other words, just in case. Let his disciples, thieving group that they are, Less his disciples, disciples, deceivers that they are, lest his disciples come by night, steal his body, then say to the people, Jesus has risen from the dead. If this happens, they went on to explain, the last deception will be worse than the first, and so it was, Pilate granted their request, and the tomb of Jesus was made secure with a seal and with A stone, Matthew 27, 63 through 66. And now that his beaten, battered, and bruised body laid lifelessly in the ground, evil in all his constituents, cohorts, partners, cronies, Buddies, in all probability, cheered, jeered, celebrated, congratulated, and tailgated over the perceived notion that Jesus was gone, he was dead, he was out of their midst once and for all. But wait a minute. That's not how... The story ends For Matthew continues writing in chapter 28 with verse one and following after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And what do you know? There was a great earthquake and an angel of the Lord showed up and rolled the stone away from the door and sat on it. An emphatic sign of victory. His countenance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And the angel spoke to the woman saying in verse 5, have no fear. I know you came here looking for Jesus who is crucified, but he is not here. He has risen as he said, come see the place where the Lord laid. Come and be eyewitnesses of this great event for yourself. Come and see so you can preach it, so you can teach it, so you can tell it from your personal experience. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and will meet them in Galilee. There they will see. Them See him. Imagine the excitement, the enthusiasm, the joy, the glee, the celebration of these women now on their way to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He has risen for the very first time. So what does the resurrection tell us is great? Story. We had a week of Holy Week preaching. Our pastoral staff did a marvelous job. And here we are today celebrating the resurrection. And early this morning, while it was still dark, I put signs out in my yard, our yard, saying that he is risen. So what does the resurrection mean? more than a monumental account of a story that we tell year after year. It's more than a Sunday morning celebration. It tells us some important things. So I want to share just three of those things with you this morning. First, the resurrection tells us, you and me, my brothers and sisters, living in a world with chaos and confusion, ups and downs, dealing with the ebb and flow of life every single day. The resurrection tells us that we serve a God who can. We serve a God who can. Our God can do whatever he chooses, when he chooses, where he chooses, and why he chooses, and can't nobody or nothing stop him. The resurrection is proof positive of the omnipotent power of God, the sovereign power of God, the all-power God we serve. The resurrection of Jesus from the grave it's all we ever need to substantiate. There ain't no mountain Amen. high enough, and ain't no river wide enough, ain't no valley deep enough yeah. to keep God from getting to His people, Amen. and to keep His people from getting to our God. How foolish, how absurd, how ludicrous, how irrational, illogical, and insane was the idea of the chief priest, Caiaphas, the Pharisees, and Pilate to think that a mere stone and a government seal could stop Jesus from rising. From the dead on the third day, Sunday morning, no governments can stop Jesus. No seals can stop Jesus. No human mandates can stop him. For he came out of that grave with all power in his hand, just like he said. Remember, he said, destroy this body and I will raise it up. Second, the resurrection tells us we serve a God who cares. First, we serve a God who can. He has all power in his hand. Secondly, we serve a God who cares. God's loving care for us is profound. It is intense. It's extreme. It's as my daughter says sometimes, it's extra. Listen to the words of several biblical writers as they reveal the passionate care of God's love towards us. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 states, Surely he has borne our griefs and carries our sorrow carried out sorrow. Yet we did not esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But look at the caring nature of God. But he was wounded. He was wounded for our transgressions. Not for his own transgressions, but he was wounded for our transgressions, whatever those transgressions are. He was bruised for our iniquities, our, our sins, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Is there anybody here in this sanctuary this morning who believes God cares about you? Paul weighs in on the loving care of God in Romans 5 and 8 by saying, but God committeth his love. Towards us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were unworthy, while we were lost, while we were messed up, Christ died for us. Are you convinced yet that God really cares about you? Listen to the words of the beloved disciple John in three, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Listen carefully. On this resurrection Sunday morning, 2018, let these words so deeply into your psyche let your heart and mind be saturated with the reality that god cares about every one of us in this place god cares about every single human being listening to this sermon wherever you are people in uganda god cares for you People in Japan, God cares for you. People in England, God cares for you. God cares for people in various, all states, all around the United States, listening to the Good Hope broadcast. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is proof positive in spite of your political, economic, or social condition. God cares for you. Thirdly and finally this morning, the resurrection tells us that we serve a God who calls. First, we serve a God who can. Secondly, we serve a God who cares. Third, we serve a God who calls. One of the most prolific, profound, and powerful calls of God happen after the resurrection of Jesus. This is the absolutely, this is absolutely amazing because in it is the blessed assurance that Jesus wants to use each of us. Don't miss this. He wants to use us. His call goes out to each of us in spite of our flops, our flounderings. And our failures, God still calls. Footnote. When you fail, oftentimes people stop calling. When you flop, people stop calling. When you flounder, people stop calling. When you fall, people stop Calling when things go wrong in your life. People oftentimes stop calling. Sometimes they stop calling when you're sick. Sometimes they stop calling when you're incarcerated. Sometimes they stop calling when you've upset them. Sometimes people stop calling. Yeah, 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 but Jesus wants Us to know that in spite of our flops, our floundering, and our failures, he keeps calling. Notice the call in Mark 16, verse 7, a remarkable verse. After the resurrection of Jesus from the grave, the women were told at the tomb by the angel, but go your way. Then there's a little snippet in there. I don't don't want you to miss this. Some of y'all have already seen it, but if you haven't, I hope this opens your eyes and and reminds you that God has a calling on your life. Tell his disciples. That's what he told the women. Tell his disciples. Go your way. Tell his disciples. Disciples, oh, what a great statement. Tell his disciples. But I underscore this in the text. And Peter, that he goeth before you into Galilee, there shall you see him as he said unto you. Tell his disciples and Peter, Peter got a special invitation. Why? Because Peter was distraught. Peter was devastated. Peter was isolated. Peter was crushed over the fact that he had denied Jesus and he didn't even have an opportunity to tell Jesus before he was crucified, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I am so ashamed of myself. Lord, I let you down. Lord, you trusted me, but I let you down. Yet, Jesus called Peter. Gave Peter a personal invitation. The invitation said, Let Peter know that I love him too. Let Peter know that I died on the cross. For Him too, in spite of the fact that he denied me, in spite of the fact that he flop founded and failed, in spite of the fact that he let me down. Make sure the letter said, Make sure, make sure that you let. Peter know that I rolled from the grave to save him too. I know he's distraught. I know he's despondent. I know he's depressed. So hurry up and let Peter know. So it is with all of us this morning. On this Easter resurrection Sunday morning, all of us, no matter who we are, and in spite of our best efforts, all of us have sinned. And all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. No matter how good we look when we dress up and come to church. No matter how well we preach. No matter how silent we teach. No matter how good we sound when we sing. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have missed a mark. All of us have dropped the ball. All of us have struck out, fouled out, and even given out. Yet the call of Jesus goes out as stated in Matthew 11, 28. On this resurrection Sunday morning, the text tells us, come unto me. That's what Jesus said. All underscore all, all that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So let the liar come, let the thieves come, let the drunkards come, let the drug dealers come, and let the drug users come, let the adulterers. Come, let those who have been divorced come. Let those who have been remarried, let them come. The resurrection tells us one and all come. Come.